2: Welcome one and all to the Storybox podcast, the place to be if you are a lover of stories. My name is Joe Phantom, former real estate agent, now living my purpose, sharing amazing stories from people all over the world. I'm grateful that you're here today. Now let's journey into the Storybox together and hear more about whose story will be unboxed today. Ladies and gentlemen, I have the woman of impact on the Storybox podcast today. That is right. You heard me correctly. Lisa Billiou is the uh, co-founder and president of Impact Theory, a digital media com- production company focused on empowering content. In addition to co-founding Impact Theory, she co-founded the billion-dollar brand Quest Nutrition almost 10 years ago now. Her career and trajectory has been an astonishing arc from housewife to entrepreneur, and transforming her business focus from nutrition to entertainment media. And now jumping in front of the camera, Lisa hosts the incredibly ever popular show, Women of Impact, that centers on all things female empowerment. And my goodness, was it an absolute pleasure and delight to speak with this lady uh, not that long ago now. Lisa and I went really deep uh, on talking about her gut health issues, I even shared Part of what happened with me and my gut health issues. Now, if you've heard anything of my story, you will know that I suffered for quite some time with severe um, bowel problems and I ended up in hospital for nine days. But Lisa shares her mindset and what led her there in the first place, plus so much more amazing stuff on an interesting conversation on this episode. So I won't bore you any more. If you did get something from this episode, please share it around to all your friends and family members. Let them know about this episode because I guarantee you, you are going to get something from it. Uh, You're going to be inspired, challenged, and motivated to become better in your own life. And there's a lot of education in this episode with some of the stories that Lisa shares about her own personal life. We both get vulnerable and it just ended ended up being a really valuable conversation and I'm so thankful to Lisa for giving up her time um, on on this episode so please if you do get something from it leave a rating and review as well uh, so with that being said my friends I'm going to be quiet now because it's time to dive into story box and hear Lisa Billu's incredible empowering life-changing story
0: Such an honor. This is really exciting.
2: Thank you so much for making the time. I was saying to you before that I got to speak to your your amazing husband the other week, which we had an amazing conversation. I just had to speak to you as well with everything that you're doing. I've seen a lot of your content, a lot of your interviews. You're an astounding interviewer. So (laughs) well done. You get to the amazing good stuff (laughs) with that. Um, We've spoken to some very incredible women uh, and, and unbox their story. So I want to unbox your story today. Um, before we do that, I have one question that I normally love asking all my guests, which is what does success look like to
1: you?
0: Hmm. I'm, I'm so curious on if I'm going to give the same answer as my husband. Um, because I almost think I know his answer. And the funny thing is it is my answer too. So I hope I'm not boring your audience. Um, but the truth is it all comes down to how you feel about yourself. Like that is it because I had what I thought on paper, what people perceive as being success, right? We had, we were announced as the second fastest growing company in North America. We were announced as a billion dollar company. I just bought my dream house in Beverly Hills. I mean, it is like, as if you could write on paper, what success you think is going to look like. We had it. And then the moment we open a champagne bottle, it is just like, oh my God, this is the moment I've been waiting for. I had this dream. I was going to make this like you know, like those um, hip hop music videos where they buy the waterfall and they're pouring champagne on their bodies. Like I'd actually had that vision of like, that would be so freaking cool. And we had the house in Beverly Hills. We had the Dom Perignon. We opened the bottle of champagne. We celebrate. And within 10 minutes, my entire health, my gut shut down. It was a long stem overdue. And it was, let's say, the... so sorry. That is terrible! Oh my god, that no, is horrific. Okay. Podcast interviewing one hundred and one. I just failed right there, people. Um,
2: <laughs> I love it. It's okay.
0: I'm so sorry. Um, so what we in, so my gut literally fell apart. It was the the straw that broke the camel's back for me. And from that moment on, I barely could eat anything. And literally, I actually mean that. I could eat beef, salt, um, coconut oil, and pork and chicken. Sorry. That was it. I put pepper on my food. It caused me so many cramps to the point where I could barely breathe. My husband was about to rush me to the hospital. That's how sick I got because of my gut health digestion issues. And that all happened at the height of my success. And so when I look back and go, what does success really look like? It has nothing to do with accomplishments. It has nothing to do with the the money in your bank account. It has no like nothing to do with the goal that you even reach. It really has to do with how you feel about yourself when you are by yourself. And when I was at the height of my financial success and business success, I was the worst I'd ever been health-wise. I wasn't intaking nutrients, which meant that my hormones were all over the place, which means that somewhat I was not a crier. I was crying all of a sudden. So that wasn't success to me. Mm-hmm. And the times that I feel the most successful is when I feel content- in myself, in how the day has gone, in how I feel about myself um, when I'm by myself. Mm. So I know that was a long answer, but...
2: <laughs> I love long answers because there's a lot for me to ask in that long answer. Um, <laughs> I'll, I'll do my best here. But you mentioned <laughs> the gut health issues there. Was that something you always struggled with over, over the years? Or was it just that one moment that you opened that champagne bottle that your gut just sort of started to fizzle out?
0: Yeah. So everything is in hindsight. So at the time I had no idea what was going on at the time. I had no idea, um, why, but everything it's been almost five years and I'm still struggling still on that path of healing. Um, but in hindsight, I realized when I was about 16 years old, I was a very skinny kid. And then I hit 16, start going into puberty and everyone started making comments. Oh, you're getting a bit chubby. And the one guy, the one (laughs) I wasn't very, um, popular in school. So I had a boyfriend. And so he said to me, Oh, you're getting a little chubby. Immediately. I was like, Oh God, I don't want to, you know, not be attracted to him. Cause that was what I held my self esteem to. And my ego to of course was absolute external at the time. Um, and So I was just like, Oh, what, you know, what, what is fattening? What should I not eat? And over time you start hearing, Oh, I think cheese is fattening. Oh, I think this is fattening. And so I just stopped eating those things. And what I realized was, sorry, what I didn't realize is your immune system 70% is carried in your gut. Hmm. So I started getting sick. So I was on this, I, I, I am, was not anorexic. I was definitely um, counting calories a hundred percent. So it was, I was more caloric restricting, um, to the point where I was like, "Oh, fats bad. Oh, carbs are bad." So I was having quite a decent amount of calories, but it was all protein. So it's what they call rapid starvation if you don't have any fat or carbs with it. Yeah. So I didn't realize, and I was getting sick a lot. I was going to the doctors. Doctors would give me antibiotics. So that you repeat that cycle. I'm not replenishing my gut because I'm not eating things like yogurt and cheese and all the things. You know, people say oh, you shouldn't. Used to say fattening. Um, I just stopped eating, and it was. I didn't realize it was killing all the gut bacteria in my gut over time. And I found it more and more difficult to eat things. So I started to find myself, if I was eating, let's say, you know, I'd eat chicken breast and broccoli. And then all of a sudden I have a piece of cake. I would get in agony, agony. And I started to tell myself, oh, maybe it's just me. Maybe it's just me. And over time, over the years, it got harder for me to eat different foods because it would, it hurt my stomach more and more. Mm-hmm. And it got to the point where my, the champagne was definitely the straw that broke the camel's back. And in exploring that, I realized that I had leaky gut. I had SIBO. I had a parasite because I couldn't get rid of the parasite because my gut was so weak. So that had, you know, taken shape in my gut. Um, I had, I was lactose intolerant. I had to go gluten free. I mean, there were so many things, right? That you, over time I had to figure out, but the champagne was just the straw that broke the camel's back. And immediately everyone's like, it's the doctor's fault. It's the doctor's fault. And I just, I started to blame the doctors, but then I was seeking, looking for the doctors to save me. Yeah. And so I thought that meant money, right? Go to the best doctors, pay the best money, and they're going to heal you. Well, of course that isn't true. I found that out the hard way after two years of just, why can't someone fix me? Why can't someone fix me? And then I realized in the most beautiful way, Lisa, you did this to yourself. And the great news is if I can acknowledge that I've done this to myself, now I have the power to change it. And I was giving my power over. I was giving it to the doctors. I we're saying the doctors made me sick. That's not true. I chose to calorically restrict when the doctor said, you know what? I shouldn't probably give you this many antibiotics. Did I ever say why? Did I ever Google why you know, too many antibiotics, not good for you? Did the doctor force feed me the tap, the pills? All of these are very real. And once I started to go, oh, this is my fault. It was amazing because I literally flipped a switch. I said, great. I'm not now relying on a doctor to save me. I'm going to save myself. What does that mean? Take ownership, start doing blood tests, take your blood tests to the doctors you think you can trust, like break it down and now come up with a solution. Mm -hmm. And that's been a five-year journey and I'm still on the journey, but getting
2: much better. That is uh, an incredible story because I can relate to pretty much everything you just said right there. Uh, in 2017, I started running and I, people sort of started noticing with me as well that I, I started losing weight. They said, you look good, Jay. You've got the, the a pack, you've got the muscles, you've got everything. So of course I kept going and I would run for two hours and do another 50 minute high intensity CrossFit style workout. And I wasn't replacing any of my nutrients that I was losing. When I was running this long distance or anything like that, I didn't understand it. And uh, of course, I didn't, I didn't care because I thought, you know, I'm losing more weight. I look great, fantastic. Didn't really care about my gut, nor did I understand it that well. And all I was eating, Lisa, you can laugh at this, but I was eating a, a kilo of spinach and cheese sauce every single day. Oh. Uh, yes. <laughs> uh, hindsight is bliss, right? <laughs> but I that's all I would eat I cut out pretty much everything else cut out carbs I wouldn't eat anything that was remotely fattening uh, apart from the cheese really Um, but even then I was very restrictive like I'd have more spinach than I would have the cheese sauce Mm. Um, and then we went on a family cruise and I was Originally, I was 68 kilos when we went on the cruise. When we got back from the cruise, I was 65 kilos because I was still running and there would be 14 flights of stairs. And I would run up the 14 flights of stairs more than probably five, six times a day, plus do a two-hour run, plus workout just nonstop and I wouldn't be eating enough food. Uh, and I started going yellow. And my mum my noticed it and she's like, normally that's a sign of your liver Malfunctioning, so she's like, "Go to the doctor and get yourself checked." Also, at the same time, I was struggling to go to the toilet, like it was this yeah really bad pain, mm-hmm. um, and it was just like constant for the vivid picture, constant sheer painful diarrhea, mm-hmm. um, and you'd be on the toilet for ages, like you couldn't get off because it was so painful. Uh, but you know, I didn't didn't care, kept doing the same thing for almost a year and a half. And lo and behold, I ended up in hospital for nine days um, after that with a blocked bow, uh, and everything that I held dear to myself, my dignity was stripped away from me because you got to unblock it. I felt sorry for all the nurses <laughs> that had uh, to put up with that. But I realized as well that I put myself through that. I, I did it to me. And then the challenge didn't stop after that nine day period until I got this right. And I also had SIBO. I also struggled with that. You're going to laugh at this too, because with SIBO, Mm -hmm. you crave sugar, like uncontrollably you crave it. Mm
1: -hmm. So I
2: sat on a couch with a two litre tub of cookies and cream ice cream with Oreos and just smashed it down. Uh, <laughs> it was at least,
0: at least tasted good.
2: <laughs> no, it was it was bad, and I had a parasite mm-hmm. at the same time. Even though I had unblocked my bowel, that was like the second stage of it uh of trying to really heal my gut. I had IBS too, mm-hmm. so and, until I decided one day, I woke up and I had a nurse who was looking after me. She's like. So why are you doing this to yourself? Mm. And I was like, I I don't know. I just like running. And I sort of made up all these excuses. Mm. And she's like, you've got one life and you're wasting it on running. Mm. Like there's so much more to life than just running. And that's all I cared about was fitness, was looking a particular way, was running.
0: That's what I was going to ask you. Was it the, um, the accolades you were getting for the looks that made you want to keep there? Like, do you think in hindsight, it was an ego and a self-esteem and an identity thing?
2: Yeah, hundred percent. I struggled with addiction. Um, I became anorexic and bulimic as a result of me being addicted to certain things in my life. Um, and I wanted to get rid of that. So when I try getting rid of that addiction, then another addiction forms. So like, like, like I said, you got to get the mind right before you can really start to improve. Um, and you know, like people would say to me, Jay, you look great. And I thought, excellent. I can get all the women I want now. Mm -hmm. That didn't work. It just made my, the women that I went for, I, I was just shut down. Because I wasn't the kind of man that they were looking for. And that's when I sort of like hit rock bottom in a way and realized, hang on a minute, I've got to do some serious work here. Um, And that's when I learned about nutrition. That's when I learned about how to cook. Gordon Ramsay was my hero. (laughs) That's when I found out about impact theory. That's when I found out about all these amazing people that had all the knowledge. And I started ingesting it and I was like, this is amazing stuff. I've got to start doing the work now. Mm. And what I want to ask you, Lisa, this is something that I've always wanted to ask you, is what did, What do you do on a day-to-day basis to stop you from going back to that self-conscious, that that state of mind before?
0: Yeah. Um. So because literally for a year I couldn't eat. I mean, it was... Like with you, every time I ate, I had to look for, like, I had to have a plan. Where's the nearest restroom? What's my excuse? Like, if I'm in a business meeting, what's my excuse to leave? Like, I, it was all so conscious. Like, okay, I'm eating at this time. I don't have a business meeting. So this time, okay, I should be safe. Like, when you're doing that for a year, you're like, what the fuck did I do to myself? Like, if I could go, but I'm not in, I'm never the, I'm never, I'm not now the person to beat myself up right? It's like, that won't help. So now instead of saying, what the fuck did you do? Go, okay, you've done this. Now, what can you do to change it? And I kept telling myself, it was interesting. I kept reminding myself when I'm sitting there on Christmas day, eating a freaking beef burger with a bit of salt, right? And everyone's indulging. I said to myself, never ever, like, I was like, you need to keep the sting, the sting you're feeling right now, where you feel so shitty out yourself because you can't eat what everyone else is eating. I was like, you better fucking sorry. I I swear, I'm swearing on your podcast. Um, So you better remember this, Lisa. You better remember the feeling that you're having right now. You better remember the sting, the way that you don't feel like part of the group, the way that you don't feel like you can indulge. Because if I could go back in time, I would click my fingers and eat that cake, right? Like being in that with the family. I'm like, really because of that, that's where it's left me. So I don't want to forget. I don't want to forget what I did to myself. I don't want to forget the feeling of how bad I felt because that is a driving force when the subconscious starts taking over, right? That goes, Oh, are you eating that? I don't know if you should Right? that negative voice. I cannot switch off as much as I try to. So if I can't switch it off, I'm like, what tools can I use? How do I use things to my advantage to make sure I don't slip back? Mm -hmm. And so I've put in things in place where it's like, the second I say, like if I'm relating a food to weight, I, I always like, okay, that means you have to eat it if my stomach can handle it, right? There's certain things that my stomach still cannot handle. Um, but I remember about, I think it was probably when we started going into quarantine. So there's certain ice cream I can now eat. I can't eat um, it has to be gluten-free, lactose-free, um, you know, sweetened with coconut sugar and only coconut sugar. But there's this ice cream I found that I can actually stomach. And so I remember now that I can eat it, Tom and I were like, oh my God, it's so exciting that we can eat this together. And then one day, one weekend, Tom was like, you know, babe, I've just eaten too much. He's just like, I'm not going to have it. And I was like, well, okay, well then I guess I've eaten too much. And in that moment, I was like, hang on, remind yourself what you said, Lisa. You're not not going to have something out of weight, but th- like don't force yourself to eat it. Right. And also I'm definitely an advocate for health. So it's not like I think sh- is good for you on a daily basis in a way. Forget about how you look just from a longevity standpoint. I want to be around till I'm 100. So I know sugar doesn't help me stay there. So I just remind myself, oh, get there. So I just remind myself, you want the longevity. And then on top of that, I just told myself, I'd never allow something to dictate because of weight. I should see how I feel. Like I definitely know my body enough to know I feel extremely lethargic. When I have sugar, I am so in tune with my body that I get brain fog. I notice that if I have alcohol, so I know what it's doing to me. So I just go in there consciously saying, okay, I've got a podcast tomorrow. All right, well, you're not going to drink because I know what it's doing to my brain. I want to show
1: up.
0: So that's one thing. Second thing is I threw away the scales, literally just one day threw away. Another thing, I refuse to now run on a treadmill. I used to be the person that was running on the treadmill, just like you. It's like, oh my, if you don't at least do 30 minutes, Lisa, you're a wuss. And then you're on that treadmill for 30 minutes and you look at how long you've gone and you've gone like 2.4 miles and you're like, well, freaking hell, Lisa, what? You can't even do, right? And the negative voice is now becoming detrimental to me. It's pushing me beyond my limits. It's pushing me to exhaustion. And I recognize that too. So I just said, stop, just stop running on the treadmill. So that was another just rule. I'm just putting this rule in place and I'm never going to cross it. And then the last thing was because of my health, I wasn't able to work out for six months. And like, I, I could barely, so you, I couldn't even stand up for longer than five minutes at a time. That's how bloated and inflamed my gut was. Um, I, I couldn't wear a bra. I could be so, you know, candid. I couldn't wear a bra for six months. It was just too tight. So that's how bad it got. Um, and so when I couldn't work out, I said, "All right, well, what do I miss? Because I would—I was going to the gym for what I thought was self-esteem, what I thought I was doing for myself, but I wasn't. I was doing it for everybody else to to look at me and give me the admiration. So I just started going inwards. What does you know? What do you enjoy? I actually really enjoy lifting weights. What do I enjoy lifting weights? It's just me against the weight. It's like you know, you see p- p- slow progress over time, and no one's forcing me and So I went in when I started to be able to work out again, I was like, let me just lift some weights. And now I found a love for weightlifting, just me and the weights with my music. I switch my phone off. I keep it off. It's my version of meditation. Other people like to do deep breathing and sit by themselves. I like to pick up a, you know, a dumbbell and see if I can curl it. And um, so that has been really huge for me um, in not getting trapped. Cause like you, I know myself, I have an addictive personality. I'm very well aware of that. So the great news is now I know it, I can put up flags in my, um, you know, with whatever I'm doing to say, okay, if you notice you feel the obligation to do it instead of want to do it, that's a sign of your addiction taking over. Mm. Um, so kind of things like that have really helped me.
2: Once again, so many questions (laughs) coming from that. um, Do you have any regrets at all?
0: So look, I mean, the truth is, if I could go back and change things, of course I would click my fingers and not have had it because it's been extremely difficult. But also the absolute freaking truth is I am who I am today because of it. And I think there is something extremely powerful in seeing something so horrendous that has happened to you and going, that's the best thing that's ever happened. Mm. And I think it would dismiss who I am today to say, I would change it. But like, of course, the truth is who actually wants to go into something knowing how much struggle it would cause them. But I really believe I wouldn't be who I am today. I wouldn't have the type of empathy I have. I don't think I have the same, you know, the drive of doing more podcasts talking about my health because I thought I was alone. I really did. You know, I don't know how you felt, but um, I thought I was the only one on the planet dealing with gut issues and no one understood.
2: Very alone. Yes, trust me, I did. <laughs> <laughs> but do you ever get do you ever get sick of it though? Ever get sick of not being able to eat certain foods?
0: Yeah. Absolutely, especially on big family occasions. Um, but again, it's kind of like with anything, like I use a certain mindset that I've learned from one thing I try to carry on in other aspects of my life. So whether it's relationship or business-based. So I look at my food and go, okay, there are certain things that aren't possible for me right now. So what's an alternative? Don't just sit there and say, I can't join in, right? It's very emotional. I don't know if you felt like that, yeah. but it was very emotional at Christmas to be around people and you either beforehand, I was telling me, I shouldn't eat this. I shouldn't do that. And now here I am saying, I actually can't eat it. Mm. And all of those emotions, it made me feel like an outsider. And it made me feel like, I wasn't part of the group and I wasn't part of it. And I realized, wow, that is all emotional release. It has nothing to do with the actual food. It is the fact that I am telling myself I'm not part of this group. It is the fact that I'm looking at what they're doing and have some envy in it that is, allow, that is putting distance between us. That is all a choice. Mm. So now what do I do? I go, cool, I freaking love ice cream. Coldstone used to be my jam and my husband eats Coldstone like nobody's business and has no stomach upset once upon a time I would look at my family at Christmas time eating Coldstone and li- literally sitting there like you're in that, that puppy in the window right where you're like mm. Mm. and I just felt pity for myself and I was like this isn't good yeah. this isn't good for my own self-esteem and no one wants to be around someone that only feels badly for themselves like I get that no one Like I don't feel badly about saying that out loud, but no, my family do not want to be around me all the time saying, woe is me. Like I wouldn't want that, of course they don't want that. So the beautiful thing is now it's in my control. Cool. What is it that is important to me? It's the experience. It's the shared experience. Cool. How do I replicate that shared experience? Right? And so now it makes, it pulls me out of victim mode. It pulls me out of that mode of wow, woe is me and finding a solution by identifying the emotions and then coming up with a concrete, you know, um, solution, and. I've now used that in my business. I now use that in my relationship. So it's a skill now that I'm very proud of having and cultivating over the years. But that is all a mindset that I've chosen to do that hasn't come naturally, that isn't you know, a natural path that I think most humans fall in.
2: Mm. I came up with a, a method that you might like. I call it the CAP method. Uh, so C stands for choice, A stands for acceptance, and P stands for persistence. And it can go both ways. So it can either be what I was and what you were, uh, constantly making the choice to accept the current reality and being persistent in all the negative. But if we reverse engineer it and we say, look, I've made the choice to accept my current reality for the way that it is, and I need to learn to be persistent in moving forward and improving my life, that's going to be worthwhile. And I, I realized I had to do that in pretty much a lot of areas of my life. I had to re, re-engineer my, my brain. I had to, and basically it's like, I'm going to put a cap on all the negative and say, no, I'm not going to allow that to creep up back inside into my life anymore. I'm going to persistently, constantly cap it. And that's my choice to do that. Because uh, that's what life is. is ultimately an amazing gift that we have. And I squandered it was such a long time and I'm only 24 I'm still a baby and my 21st birthday I'll never forget this my friends they were asking me why aren't you having your own birthday cake why aren't you eating any of the food at your own damn party and I was like I don't feel like it yeah. oh because I was so afraid of gaining an ounce of weight because I feared what people would perceive me to be. And And does
0: that go back to to attaching to your identity at the time on that you felt like that that's what your value was?
2: Yeah. So I attached my value to the way I looked, not Mm -hmm. who I was really as a person, not my values, not my character, nothing. It was purely... The way I looked towards people, and I just didn't—I didn't value myself. I didn't uh, appreciate who I was, and I was just lost. I really was. And I'm miserable, um, but no one—I wouldn't listen to anybody that knew better than me. I had so many people, so many people, Lisa, that would tell me you're so much better, Jay. My old school teacher, she's like, "I'm watching you, Jay. You." get your head out of your ass and seriously start fixing yourself. And she's always asking me today, she's like, how are you doing? How's your mind? You know, whenever I see her and people like that, they, they change your, your perspective on a lot of things. And I didn't, I didn't want to disappoint anybody and I still don't want to disappoint anybody today. But at the end of the day, if I go to bed knowing who I really am, valuing who I am, if I stuff up, great. I no longer beat myself up about it. I no longer focus on the what ifs anymore. I only focus on the present moment right now. What can I do? How can I be the best version of me possible? And um, yeah.
0: (laughs) I love that so much. And that's exactly it, right? It's putting value somewhere else. And the same here, like I look back and it was definitely um, the time when I was the most unhappy and the most, insecure. Um, you know, I just, I just got married. I was a housewife. It was something I never wanted to be. I found myself very alone. I found my, you know, obviously, so I had the teenage years, which were definitely like, I was so insecure. I was teased with, you know, frizzy hair, unibrow, head brace. Like I had the whole shebang. <laughs> 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 on, like, um, I actually had the head brace that wraps around the back of your neck.
2: No way.
0: Yes, that. It was that bad. it was that bad um so of course my self-esteem was really bad and so I I was very much caloric restriction then and then when I met Tom life was great we were just like you know it was a world with romance and then we married and we moved to LA and then now I have no friends I can't drive I've got no social security and so I had literally I didn't I didn't feel like I had anything. I was waiting for my husband to come home every day. And over time, um, I started to find value in my body, right? I had time to go to the gym because I was a stay-at-home wife. And so I literally would just fill my days with, all right, what can I make with this, the lowest amount of calories? Like, oh my God, I managed to make a brownie with only 30 calories. Wait, And it was like, that was the thing. And then, well, I just had it. So now I have to go to the gym and run it off. And so it becomes this, it was filling my day, that's the problem. It was filling my day that I didn't actually realize what it was then doing to my own self-esteem. So as I was filling my day with that, I was focusing more and more on the body. My self-esteem was going down and down and down. And then you blink. And then eight years later, I'm unhappy. I've got a terrible gut issue and I'm not recognizing that I'm doing it to myself. And sometimes as sad as it is, and I'm not sure how to change this, I honestly don't know. Even if our story right now is going to make a massive difference to people, in the sense of pe- some people sometimes have to hit the rock bottom. Like Jay, I don't know if I'd listened to this podcast back in the day and have changed, and that's heartbreaking. And honestly, like that's my mission. I don't know what to say or do to mm-hmm. tell people. Like, if you're listening, and these habits sound familiar. Like I, I, I really want people to not have to get to that rock bottom, but to me, maybe it had to, maybe it had to take my hair falling out, my nails being brittle, unable to stand up to recognize what I was doing to myself in order to make a change. And then on top of that, to take a look at the inside of Lisa and say, are you happy? Like, forget about what you look like. Are you freaking happy? And Mm. I never asked myself that.
2: Mm. Me either. Um, and I think it's very important how you mentioned people that are listening to this right now, because I was in denial for many, many, many years. I would hear people tell me all the time, you're in a dangerous place. I didn't care, but trust us. We've, we've been there. Don't, don't get to the place where you don't have to hit rock bottom. Like you can, you can make the change right now, but that's like we were saying before, it's your choice to do it. But you don't have to keep being in pain. If you're miserable and you're not happy, ask yourself, why not? And actually, as my friend Byron Katie says, do the damn work. <laughs> like, yes, yes, it is fearful. Yes, it is going to be painful, but it's so worthwhile. I mean, like, look at Lisa now. She's doing an incredible thing with impact theory and women of impact and changing a lot of lives with, with stories and unboxing them. And one of the things that I love doing is sharing those stories, being vulnerable enough to say, you know, hey, I've, I've been through this too. You know, I may not have a bigger voice, but that's okay. At least we are we're doing something that we believe in. And I think that is, that is very admirable, Lisa. Thank you. Ditto
0: to you for having this platform and creating a space for people to be able to share those stories in the hopes that something is said. Like, honestly, I, I, I lose sleep trying to think about what words. like, what's the most powerful sentence I can say where someone hears me and it was like, holy cow. Okay. I get it. Like I get it don't know what that is. My hair was falling out. Like I wasn't feeling sexy. I wasn't, you know, I felt bad with my husband because of course he wants to, you know, be very romantic and, you know, throw me on the bed. And it's like, (laughs) forget about throwing. I could barely even, you know, like I had to gently lie down on the bed. Like that's how bad things got. And so yeah, it took that for me to change, I really hope that other people hear this story and hear our conversation and maybe either spot something in themselves or spot something in someone else. And I would then say, then the first thing to do, if you do, is to assess why you're putting so much value on your body or your physique or what you eat um like what is it right like we have both said in this thing it was the accolades right especially for you everyone's like oh my god you've got an eight pack that's beautiful well you start to associate as the person with the eight pack and then you start to think if i don't have an eight pack does that mean people won't like me which means that there's that's that issue insecurity within you that you don't feel like you have anything else to bring to the table and then that then allows you to go oh if i don't Is that actually true? Do I have something else to bring to the table? Oh, no, I don't. Cool. What do I want to bring to the table? And now it hopefully allows people to take action because that's the key, right? Using these stories in your own life to take your own action.
1: Mm.
2: Did you notice during that period of time that Tom's behavior changed as well? Or was he still very much romantic, taking care of you, or did he seem more distant, do you think?
0: No, he was the opposite. So He was, he was the opposite to being distant. So mm. he was more like, do this, do that. Like, and I was like, but that's going to hurt my stomach. So that was actually a thing where I had to explain to him, like, look, I've had a bad experience with certain foods. This food is now causing a trigger in me of fear because the fear sometimes means, am I about to go to hospital because it's so bad? Mm. And so, I would talk to him about the emotion of it, but also the one thing that was very important for me to discuss is I recognize that this is happening to him too. And it would be extremely selfish of me to think that just because I'm going through the pain, that this is just one-sided. And I was very aware of that very early on, which meant that immediately we had to sit down and discuss it. I was like, babe, this is going to affect you too. Like you have a much bigger sex drive than I do. We need to talk about that. Um, There are date nights. Date nights are now maybe me in pajamas with a hot water bottle on my stomach. So what are the things that you feel like you're losing and how do we replicate those in a way that I'm able to do. What are the things that you miss? Um, please vocalize things. Like if I'm not, you know, if I'm just always in my own head and all I'm doing is complaining, like call me on. I don't want to be that person that all I'm talking about is my gut. So we kind of came up with ways to discuss it so that we were all both very sensitive. And then on top of that, God bless that man. He literally, he was getting up at 4am and he was doing at least four hours of medical reading every single morning before he would go into work. So he was listening to podcasts, reading audio books on his way. He would literally get up at four, start at Quest, because that's when it first happened, start at Quest at eight. And he would spend four hours every morning just reading. What do I learn about the gut? How do I learn more? How can I help my wife? It, bless him. with. He's very traditional in that sense. And I love it. Um, he was just like, it's my responsibility. You know, like I have to be there for my wife. It was very cute. Um, and so over time, That was part of it. But we had to assess, it's still my body. So even if you're reading stuff and saying, you need to do this, you need to do that. um, I'm still human. I still have emotions around it. So if I'm hesitant, you have to understand why. So we broke it up so that we wouldn't like butt heads all the time. And he was the most supportive guy for three and a half, maybe four years. He only ate basically somewhat what I ate in the sense of he'd eat vegetables, but he didn't eat cake. I had to persuade him on his birthday. He was like, babe, but you can't eat cake. I'm not going to eat cake. And I was like, it's your birthday. Like, and he was like, so, and so like we would discuss that. So that's the beauty of our relationship. We've gone into everything, talking about everything, even if it's hard to talk about, even if it's embarrassing, even if it's, you know, um, uncomfortable, we just made sure we always did it. And then Tom's other show, Health Theory was actually born out of my health. So we ended up um, leaving Quest, starting Impact Theory. We had a studio in our house and Tom read this book and he was like, it was a mind-gut connection. And if you've read that, amazing book. Um, can't remember the author. Oh God, I'm terrible. But um, he literally was like, babe, I've read this book and I have so many more questions. He's like, do you think I can like, what if I just call him? Like if I try and track his number down, do you think he would take the call because of Quest Nutrition? And then, so we start talking and we're like, well, we had a show that maybe you could like read books about my health and then invite the author and then talk to them about it. And then like slip in things about my health. Right. It's like, it's the, it's the perfect Trojan horse in the sense of we're going to be very honest about it. And Tom kept saying, even from day one, guys, I've done this show so that I can help my wife. And we started having these doctors on and um, that show is now great. And he loves it and he's learning so much, but um, we, we've spoke, that was a very, very long answer to your question. Um, but we we discussed everything. We said we were in it together, which meant I had to come over to his side, not just the other way around. Um, and then even saying, like, do we feel distant? I would distance. It would be me, actually, that would distance myself. Because, like, you know, when, you, God, when you're running to the bathroom every two seconds, you don't feel sexy. You don't want to be cuddled. Like, it just isn't pretty. <laughs> um and so, yeah, I had to recognize that I was distancing myself and that wasn't good for my relationship.
2: I love that answer. And one of the questions that I'm curious about now from that answer is what have you noticed about love and what does love mean to you?
0: Yeah, God. In sickness and health, like it. it Again, going back to how I kind of answered another question earlier, it's like having this issue has brought Tom and I together. It's made us stronger because of it. So while I could say this is the worst thing and it's terrible, I can say, oh no, in sickness and health, hell yeah, we've proved it. There wasn't one moment, honestly, not one moment where Tom hasn't been there if I've needed him like emotionally or anything like that when it's come to my health. And he's never judged me for it. And, um, that's been huge because I have done it to myself. So there could be a massive amount of almost frustration on his part. Um, but he's never done that. And it's just made us, so we've been together now for 20 years, married for 18. And the truth is, it's like, it really is more than just looks, right? It's you fall in love. The first Couple of months you have, you know, the spark, and then the first year it's like you get to know each other. And then six years down the line, stuff gets real. And when things get real, it is, are you gonna be there for them? And every time Tom, you know, going back to the business with Quest, Tom came home and he was like, I want to put up the house and you know, if we lose it, it's just sure. Like it's not an easy decision to make, but I bet on you, we're in this together. One of my favorite quotes is, sink or swim, either way, we go together. Period. Like, there is no add-on to that sentence. Period. So, if we fail in business, we go together. If my gut fails, we go together. And that's just an agreement. And then we sit down and go, okay, we're in it together. Now, what does that together actually look like?
2: Mm. And
0: so, it's brought us, yeah, much stronger.
2: I love how you mentioned sink or swim. Because i I spoke to um, quite a few people actually about this sink or swim, and I asked them would would you rather or what would you rather sink or swim? Most people have said swim, and I say sink because for the most part of my life, I have tried to swim and ended up sinking anyway hmm. i've never 've never drowned, but it's the pursuit of when you sink what do you learn do you learn how to swim first or do you learn how to sink first and i'm like oh okay i learn how to sink first before i can swim everyone wants to swim because swimming is quite the best thing in the world but learning how to sink you learn the most about yourself about life and you become more educated you become a much better human being when you learn how to sink, and I encourage people to sink because in failure, what do they say? In failure, you learn the most. In failure, you learn humility. In failure, you learn that you're a human being. And I love how you said, "Doesn't matter, we go together." That is a beautiful thing.
0: You just blew my mind with that whole sink analogy. I freaking love it. I've never heard that. I'm. So- That's amazing. I love that so much because it's so true. Like in the sinking, you figure out how to swim. And so it is scary. No one wants to be thrown in the deep end when they can't swim, but by golly, you'll figure it out if you have to. Um, but yeah, I mean, and yeah, I just a long, long time ago decided to attach value to things in the sense of my value is being with my husband, communicating, communicating, and being together. It is not money. It is not the house I live in. And we constantly remind ourselves of that because it could all go away. I do not live in a world where I think like everything's you know always going to be the way it is. It's like, I I literally, who knows what's going to happen tomorrow? I have no freaking Mm -hmm. clue. But as long as I hold on very dearly to the things that are important to me, I can survive anything. And when Tom went to Quit his job, the you know the first time before we started Quest, he was literally metaphorically handing over two million dollars worth of stocks and shares that he had earned. So imagine eight years of me being a housewife; he's going into work every day. We've built up two million dollars in equity on paper. It didn't matter, and in that moment, we realized it doesn't freaking matter. Like if I'm not with him, if I don't have him next to me, what 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 really does a million, $2 million make it, it. I decided that a long time ago.
2: Mm. Lisa, I've really enjoyed this conversation. I, I do want to be respectful of your time. I have a couple more questions for you, if you don't mind.
0: Not at all. And I apologize for another alarm going off. That
2: no, was- I, didn't, I didn't hear it. So <laughs> <laughs> yes. Awesome. Um, women of impact. And where did that come out of and one question that I've always wanted to ask you is you've done all these amazing interviews with with people. What has been your greatest lesson from that?
0: Mm. So Women of Impact definitely wasn't planned. It was an accumulation of stepping into my own, figuring out all the issues that I had to deal with, whether it was my gut, whether it was deciding I didn't want children. Um, you know, I, when I got married, I was like, I wanted four. And here I was now wanting to be in business with zero kids. So a lot of the things that I faced, especially being brought up Greek Orthodox, there's a very um, family pressure of, you know, having kids and passing that on. And, um, everything that I've wanted has almost felt like I've been going against the grain and I never knew how to deal with it. And I thought I was alone going back to my health. I just thought like, Oh my God, where are all the other women talking about not choosing to not have children. And the problem about speaking up about that, like I, I got backlash. Oh my God, you're selfish. And you know, are you really, you know, are are you actually nurturing men? Does that mean that you're not a woman? Like all these things, I was like, of course I'm still a woman. Of course I'm nurturing. And I really struggled with And so speaking up over time, just because we built impact theory and Tom starts speaking and he'd mentioned my name a lot. So I think a lot more people were like, oh, it'd be great to hear from Lisa. So I was so petrified one day. He was like, babe, would you consider doing a Facebook live with me? This was years ago. And I was like, oh God, live, what if I say something wrong? And so he's like, all right, what if we record it and then just release it on Facebook? And I was like, okay, that's much more like, safe for me. And I wouldn't let our team there. I literally told everyone to stay home. That's how uncomfortable I was in front of the camera. But I go, I always go back to what is my goal? And my goal really is to make a difference. So over time, when I started to realize, just telling my story, just answering the real questions of how I've dealt with things is actually impacting people. The second I start getting, if I get nervous or like, oh my God, who am I? Right. The negative voice. Who am I to be on the camera? Who am I to give advice? Um, I just said, well, what's your goal? My Hmm. goal is to help people and impact people. So then I go, okay, well, here's a goal my self-esteem and ego is getting in the way because I'm like, well, should you be on camera? And do you have anything to say? It's like the people would talk. The people would say whether they want you to be on camera or not. The people will say whether they want you to be on podcasts or not. So letting my ego get in the way of my goal, I just broke it down and realized that. And I was like, all right, goal or ego, make a choice. Don't judge yourself, right? You choose ego, cool, go for the ego. But then don't wonder why you never got to your goal in the first place. So I look at the situation, I go, cool, goal, ego. I want to go for my goal, step in front of the camera and just be you, messes up and all, right? Like all them, the, the flaws, it is what it is. And if people still accept you for that, then you can continue. And if you're not creating impact there, my goal is to create impact. So I'll step behind again and I'll just put more energy and helping, you know, tom get bigger or getting other people on our show or you know under our brand and i just got great feedback and over time i said like, well, why should i do a podcast and so it ended up being the show um but i get i get extreme pleasure from being around incredible people. They fuel me, they remind me what I'm capable of. And so I I joke about women of impact being the Trojan horse, but really is like, it brings in incredible women into my ecosystem that I then get to hang out with and talk to and tech and, you know, my team joke, they're like, oh, she's your new best friend. I'm like, yes, because I get so inspired by people. And I allow myself to embody that. Like I I open myself up to feeling that and just being on this podcast and speaking to you and hearing your story and hearing where you've come from. Like I am so inspired by you. And so I'm like, okay, it serves me and it serves my bigger goal. This is what I should be doing more of. Mm -hmm. And so I've kind of lent more and more into that space over time.
2: Thank you you for sharing that. (laughs) It was
0: the question, but
2: I completely forgot what that was. <laughs> it, it was what has been the the greatest lesson, but I think you've sort of answered it um, with that. Uh, normally people ask you, or I've been asked this, what has been like the the best interview you've ever done, but I won't ask that because uh, everyone has been a great, you've learned something from everyone. Oh, I, um, it, it's a very difficult question to actually answer, but one question Two more questions for you, if you don't mind, Lisa. Go for it. What has been the worst piece of advice you've ever received?
0: The worst piece of advice. Listen to them, they know better. Actually, oh God, when I was younger. So, cause now it's like, if someone knows better, you should freaking listen. Like, so that was actually a terrible answer, but as a kid, so in fact, Let's take Quest Nutrition as a perfect example, right? We wanted to start a protein bar company. Everyone was like, "Don't start a protein bar company. This is the worst time." It was in 2010, so you know recession galore, and it was like no one's going to pay money for a, um, a product that is considered a non-essential item, right? A protein protein bar. And there was 1500 protein bars on the market at the time. So people were like, you guys have no experience. You're entering a market that's already dead. And there's so many protein bars on the market anyway that you guys have no chance.
2: Mm.
0: Cut to being the second fastest growing company um, and one of the largest nutrition companies in the world. So you want to talk about bad advice. That was pretty bad advice. Mm. Don't marry Tom. That was another piece of bad advice. 20 years later, I think that was... Um, safe to say that was bad advice. I could keep going on.
2: (laughs) That's a great answer. One of the, one of the worst pieces of advice I ever got was when I was in real estate last year and my boss tells me, don't waste your time on a dead duck. And basically he was telling me to give up on a particular property that Mm. wasn't sellable and I didn't give up. And I was the one that actually sold it to a brilliant family and to this day, I mean, like I look back on that and I say, if I had a given up, if I wasn't persistent, which leads to my be persistent to remain consistent at the things that you want, if I wasn't like that, I never would have had that amazing experience. And it, it's very, very true. Like oftentimes the worst piece of advice can be the best piece of advice in hindsight.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, it's such a profound thing. Lisa, my last question for you. You mentioned earlier that when you get to the age of 100, which funny enough is part of my question. So you've been able to reach the age of 100 and your friends have decided to put together your own film of everything you've ever said and everything you've ever done. Don't ask me how in the world they got it all. We'll just call it magic. They just did. And they've shown it to you on your 100th birthday. What do you want that film to say and to show about your life?
0: Oh, as you were describing it, I was actually getting a little emotional. Like I, I could really feel myself sitting there, and really, it's thank you for, and really, it, oh my god, and the, because I've never really been asked this, I'm kind of um, processing in real time. It's thank you for if I've spoken about my health, I actually helped someone not get to that point. If thank you for releasing a video on relationship theory where Tom and I gave some relationship advice and someone either realized they were in the wrong relationship and saved years of their life, or they got a tip from us that ended up saving their marriage and they have kids. And, you know, it's like, my efforts have gone to helping and improving someone's life. I think that's actually a way more succinct way of saying it. Um, and look, I, I'm actually not shy to say that is rather egotistical, right? Like I want to be thanked for the stuff that I've done, but like it, it, it isn't even about the thanks. It's about acknowledging that all the hours I've put in all the things that I've done, all the hard work, the time it was easier for me to quit and I didn't, the times when it was easier for me to go to bed and I stayed up and worked, the times that it was easier for me to not speak out and I spoke out, like all those things that I've pushed myself, even when I was uncomfortable, even when I was insecure, I want to see a result, right? I want to see that that has actually made a difference to someone's life. Because when I think about the people in my life that have made a difference, I want them to know that, like, hey, don't you know, you've had such an impact on me. Um, So Mm. I think it really is that, is that there's something that I've done somewhere, somehow that has changed someone's life for the better.
2: Mm. I love that legacy. It's very profound.
0: That's actually why we decided to not have children. Mm. So um, when we dissected why we thought we wanted kids, it was, I really want to to have an impact on someone, right? Like a kid to have to say, like, because mom, you did this, I am now who I am today. Um, that was, I was actually very honest about like, oh, having that impact on the kid and seeing a little Lisa and seeing a little Tom and seeing how the things that I've helped them grow into being this incredible human. Um, so we were like, okay, if that's actually a real part of why we want to be children, uh, we want to have children, hmm, huh, actually we can have that in our business. Um, how about you? Do you mind me asking that?
2: My legacy? Oh, I I want my movie to say he was a persistent bugger that didn't give up. <laughs> he didn't give up when people rejected him and said no. And because he didn't give up, because he was persistent, that he ended up changing the world for the better, that he ended up when people say jay phantom i want them to to understand that he was a he was a man that went through absolute hell he's still standing he's still going and you can too so don't stop that's what i want mine to say yeah
0: that was beautiful mic drop
2: Right there. <laughs> End of discussion.
0: And <laughs> thankfully, I asked you that after me because I didn't have yeah. that. <laughs> that was beautiful.
2: That's that's real because for me and everything that I have been through in my life, like what I shared, was just a, like a little little bit. Um, and the reason why I do what I do now is because I, I have a heart to want to help. I'm not in it for the money. I'm not in it for the fame or the recognition. I'm in it to make a difference, even if it's just one person's life. Even I don't, I just want to make a difference, like, and help as many people as I possibly can. There's enough negativity out there already in the world. We need people that say, hey, I want to make a positive difference. And I'm even more grateful for the people that believe in me enough to say, I'll give Jay a chance we'll speak to him and hopefully I can ask him the right questions. Hopefully I can have a organic as possible conversation and hopefully I can make a difference, not in their life, but in the lives that listen. So why
0: not in their lives? Why why are you, um, why'd you say that
2: actually? Sorry, what was that?
0: You just said not in their lives, but in the people listening, I was going to say, why not in their lives?
2: Um, because you've
0: already had an impact on me. I just want to say, that's why I, that's why I said, why not their lives?
2: Their lives, I, I do want to impact as well, but it's their choice whether or not they want to be impacted or change.
1: Mm.
2: And I, I understand that. Like, I'm not trying to force any of this down anyone's throats. They have a choice to listen to me and listen to you or not. And if you, if you do want to change, then fantastic. You don't even have to let me know, but as long as you are able to change for the better, that's worthwhile for me and all I can do is the work. I can Mm -hmm. continue doing what I know is my purpose in life. So that's why.
1: (laughs) Yeah.
0: you're definitely doing that, I mean you know your story and um, your questions are great, and I've really enjoyed this, and you know your insights into things and your unique story is extremely powerful and um yeah I mean like I said, you 've already changed my life with the sink or swim thing i 'm holding on to that for that's just an amazing um, analogy and um yeah your your story has you're extremely open and um And allowing yourself to see the, allowing people to see the vulnerability, which I think is extremely important because, you know, even like we've talked about some very heavy stuff in this conversation, right? Where it's like, we've said it in a very conversational way, but You know, I don't know how you were, but like, I literally, at one point, my husband was worried I was going to die. That's how malnutritioned I was. My nails were breaking, my hair was falling out. Um, And I assume obviously the fact that you ended up in hospital means that you had very severe health things. So the fact that we're able to talk about something extremely serious in a way that hopefully has been somewhat entertaining, but also impactful, right? Where it's like, we've really said some strong stuff and some honest stuff and you having this platform to allow someone like me to share that story. Um, yeah, I, I definitely think me and I'm sure your view, your listeners agree that you're creating that impact.
2: Hmm. I'm grateful for you, Lisa. I really am. And, and I appreciate you, everything that you're doing. Same with Tom as well. I'm a huge fan. I really am. Uh, that's, from, that's from my, my heart. Um, you guys have helped me so much. I love uh, all the Like impact theory, health theory, relationship theory, women of impact, everything. It's just incredible. So thank you so much, Lisa, for coming on the Storybox podcast today.
0: Of course. And please keep in contact. I really mean that.
2: I don't like this part because it means, sadly, we have come to an end of yet another incredible story. I just want to say thank you to all of you for tuning in and listening to our guest today. It is my prayer that you would have felt inspired, motivated, challenged in some way, and that you would have learned something new as well. If you'd like to hear more amazing stories like this one, you can do so now by searching up the story box on any podcast platform. It's that easy. If you did get something from our guest today, please share it around to a friend or family member that you think could benefit from hearing this powerful story. And before you go... Please leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It will only take 30 seconds and it will go towards reaching more people. Let's start changing lives through powerful stories like this one. Your support is greatly appreciated. Until next time, when we dive back into the story box, I'm Jay Phantom and don't forget, your story is worth more than you know. I'll catch you next time.